Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. Hey, we're so glad that you're here on Labor Day weekend. If you're joining us online, thrilled that you're joining us online. Let us know who's watching with you, where you're watching from, and we're just glad that you're here with us, and we're glad that you are here also with us in person. If this is your first time in person or online, I'd just like to encourage you to text the word welcome to this phone number on the screen. It's just a great way for us to connect and for me to say welcome and hello and introduce myself. And if you have any questions, it's just a great way to connect with us. If you're new, if this is your first time or your 50th time and you are just curious about what we believe, why we believe it, what we do as a church next Sunday at 9.45 a.m. at uh, room 126, right up the hallway, we're going to have a Discover MCC class that goes for three weeks. And we're just going to kind of go over some of those things. So I want to encourage you to come and check that out. But I am so excited that you guys are here, that I am back. It's been a couple weeks since, since I've been here and we've met in person and, and it's been fantastic. If you did not participate with us last week at Surf Sunday, you miss out. You missed out on just an amazing event. We had 87 people participate. Isn't that awesome? Yes. We had people at Mechanicsville Elementary School, we had people here, we had people in the community, at homes and in assisted living facilities, and we just had people all over the uh, community serving and loving on our community, and it was, it was just amazing. So thank you guys, thank you guys, thank you guys so much for showing up and loving on our community. I am so, so excited to dive into the Word of God this morning and to continue our series on four-chair discipling. Before we do that, though, I just want to share with you how um, one of the things that I heard this past week, listening to a podcast. Anyone podcast listeners listen to podcasts? Okay, I love listening to podcasts. If you have suggestions of good ones, please let me know. And if you want, I can let you know some of my favorites also. But this past week, I listened to a podcast and they were talking about an article that they read about a woman who's being charged after going 120 miles an hour, hitting several cars, light posts, and finally ending up by hitting a house. Fortunately, no one was hurt. When they were talking to her and she was explaining what was happening, she said, it's just been a long couple weeks and I didn't know if God was still there. I didn't know if he still loved me. And she said, I thought I would just test and see what happened if I let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> I, I wished I was joking. <laughs> I felt bad really at first for how long it's been to get to that point where you just want to test out Jesus if he, he's there by, by letting go and letting him take the wheel. But then I thought, how in the world as a culture, as a, as a church, have we gotten to this place where a Carrie Underwood song gets confused for scripture? Because nowhere in God's word does it say, just let go of the steering wheel and let Jesus take the wheel. It's not there. What was fascinating, though, is that they continued and they named several, several other places and uh, dates, years, other times that this same thing had happened. There were three or four times that people just said, I let go and let Jesus take the wheel. Their comment was, who took the accelerator because you were going pretty fast. But we have this mindset and this, this idea in our culture today in the church, it seems like, where we have this mentality of let go and let God. And there are places, there are times, there are occasions where things are just outside our control and that's really all we can do. But it's still not biblical. No place in scripture do we see let go and let God. And it certainly shouldn't be applied across the board in all circumstances at all times. 
I like the other phrase a little bit more of work as though everything depends on you and pray as though everything depends on God. Still not biblical. We don't see that in Scripture. But I think it's a little bit more realistic and a little bit more of what we do see reflected in Scripture. I don't know about you, but I look back over my life and I see so many times that the greatest moments in my life came after the hardest things. Graduating from, from undergrad and from seminary, I know some, some people like school just comes easy, you soak it in, and I, I was like that to a point in high school. But then college came, seminary came, and there was a lot of reading, and I'm not a fast reader, and there was a lot of writing, and I'm not a good writer. And it was hard, but graduating made all the work worth it. And graduation was that much sweeter because of all the energy and the effort that I put into it. Marriage is hard. It takes a lot of hard work. Dating is hard to get to that point where you finally get married. It takes a lot of work and energy, but, but then you can get to the point where you've been married for 50 or 60 years. And that's an amazing place to be. But it takes work, it takes energy, it takes effort. And the same is true when it comes to faith. For some reason, we just think that we can sit back and let go and let God and we just relax and, and we come to church, we absorb, we just take in and, and that's really all we need to do. But that's not what scripture says. A couple weeks ago, we started this series called Four Chair Discipling, where we were looking at discipleship and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've used these, this illustration here of four chairs, and it's loosely based on this book Dan Spader wrote called Four Chair Discipling. And, and what he does that's so amazing for me is he takes this idea of discipleship and he breaks it up into really seasons of life. Because as we talked about the first week, discipleship is not a program. It's not a system where like you spend a year here and then two years here, and then you graduate and you go to the third chair and then you move to the fourth chair. And, and it's, it's, it doesn't work like that. But there's different seasons of life that sometimes we're in the fourth chair and we make it there for a little bit and then life happens and we coast or we get too comfortable and we end up coming back to the second chair. So real briefly, as we, we recap, the, the first chair here represents us when we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And often this is before we come to accept him, this is before we're baptized into the family of God, but sometimes what happens is that we coast, we let go, and we let God, and we get a little too comfortable. And we stop coming to church, and we stop reading the word of God, and we stop praying, and we're still a Christian, but the reality is that we don't have a relationship with Jesus. The second chair represents the simple command Jesus gave his disciples of, come and see. C come, and, come and see what I teach. Come and see what, what I can do. Come, come and see and experience just firsthand and just, just watch. Just observe. And as we give our lives to Christ, as we're, we're young in the faith and we just need to watch, but what we will see hopefully is that God expects a whole lot more of us. And that's where we move to the third chair. And this is where, this is where it gets hard. Because if we're paying attention, what we're going to see is 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's a quote from Leviticus. God, from the very beginning, has expected his people, Old Testament, New Testament, to pursue this idea of holiness. To be holy in our lives, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our actions, to be holy. And that's a really churchy word, and that really just is simple. It just means perfection. It means to be perfect, as Jesus is perfect. And sometimes we just get this mental train rolling and we think, well, because I can't be perfect, because I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes, then I'm not even going to try. And so we stay in the second chair where it's comfortable, where there's not a lot asked of us, where we can come and watch and observe and we just sit and we be and we just hang out here. This chair, though, if we take this call to be holy and we pursue holiness in our lives, it leads to three things. It leads to suffering, it leads to servanthood, and it leads to sacrifice. Now we're all jumping up and down excited for those things, aren't we? This is not what wins people to the gospel. No one says, hey, if you become a Christian, it'll be a life full of suffering and servanthood and sacrifice. You ready? You in? Sounds good, doesn't it? No. And that's not the core of the gospel. The core of the gospel is not sacrifice and servanthood and, and suffering. Those aren't, those aren't the core pieces of it. It's, it's the life that Christ has to offer us. It's the peace and the hope of, of a future eternal life with God forever. It's the relationship being in Him. And that, that is what's so amazing. But that, that becomes experienced at a whole other level in chair number four. But the only way to get there is through chair number three where our pursuit of holiness, it hurts, and it's hard. We're all tempted to sin, we all make mistakes, we all struggle to be perfect as Jesus is perfect. And that's what leads to suffering and servanthood and sacrifice. We're gonna start, we're gonna talk briefly about each one of these and then we're gonna kinda wrap it up in the end and we're just gonna start by talking about this idea of, of suffering. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now there's a lot of suffering that we experience in this world. There's physical suffering when we fall down and scrape a knee. There's emotional suffering after a year like COVID, when we're in isolation and we are all alone, there's, there's an immense amount of, of emotional suffering that's internal, that's not really seen. But whether you believe in Christ or not, those happen. What Paul wants to do here is he wants to suffer to the degree that Jesus did of denying himself and following God. And he, he hopes, he longs for the day that that just maybe he can give his life in the same way that Christ did for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. But there is something that happens when we pursue holiness to the degree that we are called to. We pursue holiness to the degree that Christ has called us to. It causes us to suffer. Because it's not easy when we find ourselves in a moment of lust. It's not easy to say, I'm going to bounce my eyes somewhere else. I'm going to think about something that's different. It's not easy to shut that down. 
when we're, when we're tempted to take an extra drink or go back to the cigarette or the temptation that holds us, that binds us, it's not easy to say, no, I'm, I care more about looking like Christ in this moment than whatever, whatever's happening. It's not easy. And if it doesn't cause you some, some suffering, then you're not trying hard enough. Because it hurts. And it is hard to deny ourselves to become more holy and to become more like Christ. It hurts. And this journey of discipleship, when we get to this third chair of become, trying to pursue holiness, it involves a lot of suffering. It also involves servanthood. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is talking about how the, the Gentiles and other people will, will lord their position of authority over others. That I'm in this position of authority and you're under me and I'm going to make sure that you know that you answer to me and I can tell you what to do. And Jesus says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And Jesus spends so much time throughout his ministry defining what this looks like, defining who you serve and how you serve and why you serve. And, and it's out of love for other people and it's all people regardless of how you feel or think about them, regardless of whether they look like you or not. And if you're going from here and someone's broke down the side of the road, we offer to help because that is what Christ has called us to do. And we serve other people. And chair number three is we pursue holiness. We do what Jesus did and serve and love people as much as we can. In the summer of 2016 when I came here, uh, the church was in the midst of what we typically do every summer and looking and asking people who would be good fits to serve as a deacon or an elder. And we used to do it a little bit more so several years ago, and we've not done it as much lately, but we'll stand up here and we'll say, hey, if you know of someone who would be good to serve as a deacon or an elder, please let us know. We would love to talk with them and, and have a conversation. And the reason we don't do that as much so, and in the from publicly as much in settings like this is because of the answers that we got. We had a lot of people come up to us and say, hey, you know, so-and-so would make a good deacon, so-and-so would make a good elder. And, and not disagreeing, not trying to be difficult, the question we always asked was, was why? Why do you think that they would make a good deacon or a good elder? What do they do that, that makes you want to follow them, that they would be a good leader in our church? And you know what answer we got most of the time? They're a good person. And I'm, gl I'm glad. I'm glad we have good people in our church that, that make you want to recommend them to be a deacon or an elder, but there's a lot of good people in this world. And there's a lot of good people in this world who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Great people in this world without a relationship with Jesus. To be an elder and a deacon, it requires something a little bit more. It requires a servant's heart. Last year, someone came up and we didn't announce it from the stage publicly like this. And they said, hey, I, I know that usually around this time we were looking for deacons and elders. And I just want to know if you have considered this person. And in typical fashion, I just asked why. 
And they said, well, it just seems like lately they've been in with both feet. They've been here a lot and doing a lot of things. And they used every word in the dictionary synonymous with serving except the word of serving. And I just looked at him back and I said, actually, we have. And he's probably going to come on at the first of the year. But it was an answer so much better than, well, because they're a good person. Our elders and our deacons exemplify what it means to have a servant's heart and serve in the way that they do. It's amazing. They're here early. They stay late. They do a lot of things behind the curtains that you just don't see. But you know who they are because of the servanthood that they exemplify. And it's amazing. Chair number three involves suffering. It involves servanthood. It also involves sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, it says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I love this verse. If you start the verse, the beginning of it, it makes you think that we're almost talking about worship. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And we, we, at least in my mind, the first place my mind went was, was worship when we gather, when we sing songs to God. But the author then clarifies, that is, he clarifies for us, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And that still almost has a connotation here of, of worship, of, of singing songs to God. But, but that fruit of lips, that's a little, it's a little odd terminology. And I think that's why they continue to the next verse to clarify what that means. The fruit of the lips, the, the evidence of the lips that acknowledge his name is do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Paul in Romans chapter 12 puts it this way, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's this oxymoron between a, a living sacrifice because when you build an altar and you make a sacrifice to God, you slaughter the animal. There's not a living sacrifice, but when we die to ourselves daily, when we give up our wants and our desires to pursue holiness, when we're in chair number three, then we are living a life of sacrifice before God. And there's a, there's a huge scale, huge continuum of what that could be and what that could look like. On the one hand, over here, we have any time that there's a natural disaster, the American Red Cross will come and text this number to give $10. And there's a lot of times that that's really all we can do, and that's very helpful. And if we were to go to that place to serve and be boots on the ground, like we might just be in the way. There might not be a lot that we can do. We don't know what we can do. And so giving financially might be the only thing we can do. But can we at least just be honest for a moment that unless you're an unemployed middle school student, $10 is not much of a sacrifice. That's not much. On the other side over here, we have a woman that we'll just call Missy. I think I can share her name now, but earlier this week when, when I was hearing about Missy, I couldn't. She works for a humanitarian aid organization, and let's put politics for aside for the moment, but what's happening in Afghanistan right now is just horrible. 
Uh, wherever you stand politically, let's just set that to the side for a moment because people in Afghanistan are hurting, they are losing their lives, and it is not good. And we should have a heart of compassion for them regardless of who you blame or what you think. God, whatever it is, the people are hurting and it's not good. And this is what her and her, her organization, this is what they do. They help get people out of difficult places whose lives are at risk. And so it wasn't outside the norm for her to be contacted and saying, hey, we need help getting people out of Afghanistan. What was unusual is the number of people that they needed help getting out. Usually it's a fairly small number, but this time they asked for a thousand people. She did all the work that her and her organization normally do of contacting local governments around Afghanistan within a a small plane trip there, and she finally found enough places for them to go. Here's the difficulty, though. As legal as this is, as much as she can, she can help get people to other countries who are willing to accept them and have the processes and programs in place and doing it all above board, international law says to move that many people is human trafficking. And so as long as she stays on the plane and doesn't get off at any place, she's okay. But she can't live on a plane forever. And as soon as she steps off, she could be detained and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And she has two little boys. But this is what she feels God has called her to do. And I'm not saying that every one of us is called to sacrifice that much and risk that much. But when we look at the scale of what we give, of what we sacrifice, of how we serve and love others, I think it looks a whole lot more like Missy and a whole less like giving $10. So church, I got a question for you. Are you willing to sit in the third chair? Are you willing to pursue holiness to the degree that you suffer, that you serve others, and that you sacrifice so much it's uncomfortable? Most of us say no. Most of us will dip a toe over here. Most of us will sit here for a little bit, and then we go back to chair number two where it's comfortable. Where we can sit and we just, nothing is asked of us. We don't have to sacrifice anything. It doesn't involve a lot of suffering. We like to go back to chair number two where we can just sit and watch and be. But becoming more like Jesus, it involves suffering. It involves serving people. It involves a lot of sacrifice. And it's hard. I don't like it. But it is what Christ has called us to do. And I think that, I think that if for a moment we could set our pride and our ego to the side, I think we'd be willing to admit that for most of our lives, for most of us that have been believers for a long time, we don't want to be in the third chair. And we don't. 
And the problem is that when we don't go through the third chair, when we don't sit there, then we don't look like Jesus. We don't think like him. We don't act like him. We don't talk like him. And we don't, we don't become like Jesus the way he's called us to. And the problem with that is that when we then preach the gospel, when we tell others about Jesus Christ and who he is, then we're preaching a gospel that stops with the second chair and we're leaving out the third and the fourth chair and it's a partial gospel, which is a false gospel. And heaven forgive us for when we have done that. And I'm afraid that too many of us are not willing to sit in the third chair. This year of COVID has been hard for all of us. It's been a tough year. There's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of unknown. There's been a lot of fear. There's been a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of misinformation. There's been a lot of division, hatred about things that have no significant internal impact whatsoever. We came down here to worship in this space when COVID all started because it's, we thought it would be safer, it's easier to spread out and to have more room and, and you guys are very gracious. And we have a lot of work, the deacons have done a lot of work to, to make this space work. And I wish that you guys could have been there at the elders meeting when we were talking about when to go back. Because the conversation turned to if we should go back because how do non-believers, people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with him, how do they see the space? Would they rather worship in a gym? Would they rather worship in a sanctuary? And if you could see and hear those guys near tears, praying and contemplating what would be the best decision. It was incredible. And that decision to wait it out a little bit longer, and this is not an announcement about a final decision being made, but we said that we were going to give it to the end of the year and, and see if we could ask some guests, ask some people, and, and see what they thought. And the, the response that we were met with from some was, we're going to leave the church, and I think the church should vote about this. Church, it doesn't matter where we worship. But if people come to either a gym to worship or a sanctuary to worship, and the people who are here have this mentality and this attitude, we are the ones keeping them from Christ. It's not about the gym. It's not about the sanctuary. 
but it's this attitude and this mentality of those of us who are sitting in the second chair who care more about my preference and my desire, not willing to lay down what I want, let alone lay down my life for Christ, who are keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven. And if that doesn't get you angry, I don't know what will. I don't care. Let's, you want my, my preference? Let's worship outside. Let, let's, let's just worship outside. Let's forget about the sound system. Let's forget about the lights. Let's forget about the sanctuary, the gym, whatever it is. And let's worship God. Period. And maybe just then, maybe people will experience the real Jesus and not this false gospel we preach from the second chair. Church, we are the ones keeping people away from Christ. And heaven forbid that happens. I love you guys. I want more for us as a church. I want us all to be in this fourth chair and experience the true life that God has to offer us. What it means to truly live, to truly be free, to truly have hope, regardless of what this world throws at us. And that only happens when we can sit in this third chair and we pursue holiness to the degree that it hurts, to the degree that we suffer, that we serve others in an incredibly uncomfortable way and that we sacrifice everything because otherwise we're preaching a false gospel you can let go and you can let God but you will never move past the second chair and I God Jesus I, our elders, our leadership, our staff, we all want more for the entire family of God, this church, other churches. We want more for you and for our community. Father God, forgive us for the ways and the times that we have preached this false gospel. This gospel of a comfortable, fun life without sacrifice, without pursuing holiness. God, forgive us for the ways that we have not, that we have not killed our own wants and desires in efforts to follow you. God, forgive us Forgive us for wanting what we want more than what you want. Spirit, do a work inside of us and move us into this third chair to sit in this discomfort for the sakes of our souls and the souls of those in our community. And that's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.